Good afternoon, Sydney, Scotia. Welcome on VH Berries. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Victor. I am very grateful. How are you doing today in Vancouver? I am doing great. It is a gloomy day in Vancouver, which is typical <laughs> for fall here, but it is not raining, so I really can't complain. And How are you doing? I'm doing great because you know what is inside rain? It is water, of course, and drinking water is good for health, except when watching S.A.R. And I am not talking about the Scotia Avenue uh, or something else, a monument that we will see in two centuries, but of the some assembly required. Uh, yes. Nobody should drink water while watching this series. <laughs> because they might spit it out because it's so funny. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes, honestly, had a great time shooting some assembly required. And coming back to this city reminds me of my days shooting that because it was my first time in Vancouver when I went to do the chemistry read for that show. So all of my memories of Vancouver from ages 15 to 18 were filming or doing something for some assembly required. So it's definitely very nostalgic whenever, whenever I'm in Vancouver. Those uh, three plus years of recording are tied to uh, that city, as you just mentioned, and I would love to discuss about it because um, you're playing a very funny character inside a group of amazing uh, performances. Can you tell us about how it got all started? Yes. Actually, I had been really, really trying to get to Canada because I heard that there was a lot filming up here and I had always dreamt of being on a multicam sitcom. That was my, my big goal when I moved out to LA when I was 14. And I had consistently auditioned for Disney casting and Nickelodeon casting and uh, these casting directors in particular that casted for Ant Farm, and which was a Dan Signer show. He created that show and made it into a, a giant Disney spectacle. And so an audition came in for a show called Some Assembly Required and there were a couple characters that I could play and I chose to audition at first for a character named Piper. And that was the punk rock chick in the show. Um, and then I got a call back. I was lucky enough to get a call back in LA and the showrunners, Dan Signer and Howard Nemitz were there as well as the casting. And the callback went great, but they had me read for another character as well as Piper. And the second character they had me read for was named Geneva. And she <laughs> was a bit of a ditzy, a ditzy secretary. And she read a magazine called Bimbo Magazine. And it was a hilarious character. <laughs> and I loved both of them. And so when I went into the callback, It just, it became so apparent that Geneva was the character for me, but then I still had to go 
fly to Vancouver. I got a call one day. They need you in Vancouver to chemistry read for the show. And I went, I was so nervous. And there were two of each character in the waiting room in Vancouver. And it was a big, it was a long journey and everybody came from all over, from Calgary, from Toronto. I had come from LA, some people from Vancouver Island. We had all come a long way to chemistry read and, but it still wasn't ours. And we chemistry read and by the end of the read, we kind of knew, I had a feeling who the cast could be, but I still wasn't confident because you can never get too cocky or confident in a chemistry read because you never know what's gonna happen. But we were the last one standing in the room and then flew back down to LA and then got the call that I booked Geneva. And then from there, I spent the next three years in Vancouver filming and it was the best time ever. I was finishing high school on set. I was hanging out with these kids who became my best friends. And weirdly enough, um, I've been running into them everywhere recently. We all still talk. And within the last couple of weeks, I've run into almost everyone from the cast, which is crazy. We, we've all kept in touch. And it was one of those unicorn shows where we became best friends. And I, I truly believe that uh, it was a special connection with even the writers and everybody behind the camera. There, there's just something I, that can't be explained about how special it was. So whenever I see someone from my sub assembly days, it's it's like someone from my childhood that was you know, a family friend. It wasn't just a co-worker. If I understood correctly, Sydney Scotia, you mean that very recently you actually met Mrs. Bobkiss, who is speaking a very special language called Mescatanian, which is a completely entire universe around that character. Yeah. Okay, Ellie Harvey played Mrs. Bubkiss in the show, <laughs> and I still to this day do not know how she did that. She created her own gibberish language in the show, and she would show up to table reads, and none of her dialogue in the show was actual scripted dialogue. It was basically <laughs> like, you're, these are the words you're saying, but you're going to create the language for it. So Ellie had to literally like Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings, she created her own language that, that should be studied in textbooks called Miskatanian. Um, but actually, Ellie is the one person that I haven't run into in the past two weeks, and I really do want to run into her, but I know she'll probably be at the UBCP Awards, because now she is the head of UBCP, which is the union here in Vancouver, the Actors Union. And so I'm sure she'll be there. So... That is more of a calculated run-in. I'm going to try to run into her at that award show. But everybody else I've run into randomly at a Halloween party, on the street, uh, at a restaurant. <laughs> no joke, I've run into almost everybody except for Colton, who I know is in Ontario, and Ellie. But yeah, no, Ellie is amazing. I don't, I don't know how she did that. I, I don't know if I could do that. There was one episode where I had to speak in Miskatanian, and... It just, it was so, it was so hard. I had to actually write out my syllables because I didn't know what, how she did that just off the cuff. So I had to write out like B-A-D-A, -A, whatever, whatever I was trying to say, uh, and then try to add the inflection in it. But yeah, she's amazing. 
I would suggest a very unexpected plot which Sidney Scotia, which is that you are actually using that current conversation that we are having to spread the message to her. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Me trying to speak in Miskatanian to her through this camera. It sounds something like, but I wish get about for the. I don't know. That is what Miskatanian sounds like. So there's my message to Ellie. But a bush get a ba. There, there we go. I hope she receives it. <laughs> it was. It's so hard, honestly. Like props to her. But you've really done your research if you know Miskatanian and you know the the secret language of some assembly. <laughs> I know for sure, Sydney Scotia, that she received the message ten yes. out of ten. And Thank on you. one hand. It is much more easier in terms of remembering all of the dialogue for that character. But on the other side, um, you have to be very good to improvisate everything and to uh, look uh, very serious about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She, she in particular was someone that I really looked up to as a young actor. And whenever I got a compliment from Ellie on set, I knew that I was doing a good job, you know, because it's one thing to get. We were all kids. We were, you know, 15, 16. And so we would get sometimes the, the odd comment here and there from someone like that was really funny. And, you know, we, we ate that up because we needed it to keep going. But whenever I got a compliment from Ellie, I was like, ooh, I must have done good, you know, because she is just a comedy genius and she's so skilled at improv and has always been um, really just great at off the cuff. And, and the only scenes that I really broke during the whole series in where I broke character and started laughing, there's one scene I remember where Ellie and I were, it was just us in the B story of the episode the whole time. I think it was a Valentine's Day episode. And I broke almost every single take and I'm sure by the end of it, she and everybody there were like, what this girl, but Ellie was just so funny. Like I couldn't look her in the eye and not laugh at this in the scene. It was just us two. And that's the only time that that's ever happened on set where I just could not keep it together. Uh, but those moments like that are always so fun, but that's how good Ellie is. So I should just make this whole episode of this podcast promoting Ellie Harvey, uh, because honestly, she, she deserves all the hype. <laughs> She deserves all the hype, Sydney Scotia. And in definitive, there are actually two places related to some assembly required, which is the name of that television series. Those two locations are, are Vancouver, but also Planet Denmark from one of the very special episodes called Snapo. Yes. That is actually, that is crazy that you know that. That is one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> After doing so, we did so many episodes. It was three years and there are definitely some that I don't remember the name of just because it was, it was long ago and you, you do so many of them. Um, but that one was one of my favorite episodes. We had an amazing guest star and my character just thinks that this man is an alien from outer space because he's from Denmark. 
Um, <laughs> and then we got to speak, uh, Charlie Storwick and I got to speak in very, very questionable Danish accents. Uh, and to this day, like that scene, oh gosh. Yeah, I, I that's the, the one scene that, that I reference still because it's not cool to, you know, I mean, it is cool, but it, it, I think after a certain point, if you're like holding on to certain things for so long, it's it's like, okay, she's stuck in the past. But but that is one scene where my family and I will be like, oh yeah, we're just joking um, because I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> Geneva is a secretary and during her free time she enjoys reading a very special magazine but after a little time she realized through one of uh, her friends that it is an actual economic magazine which disturbs her do you know some plot lines that i've forgotten or that i don't know um <laughs> I'm sweating. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. Oh, my gosh. You just unlocked a core memory for me. Um, yeah, actually, the magazine, the Bimbo magazine, in one of the episodes, ends up being an actually informational, educational magazine. And there's there's numbers in it. And, she, and she's super disturbed by that. Yes, you're right. Um, that was great. I loved those magazines and also the, it was usually just a magazine with a fun cover on it and our props guys were amazing. Shout out to DFL, but it was always a really fun cover, always a lot of Easter eggs on the covers of those magazines. So I was actually getting to read the magazine, whatever they put together that week. And, and uh, I should have taken some with me at the, at the end of the show, but where would I put them? Because they were just, they were so fun. I actually believe that that joke related to the magazine was actually in the very first episode, the pilot one, in which you're saying a very long sentence, which I'm very impressed with, which is bouncy balls account for less than one one thousandth of one person of the global toys sales which last year's topped 84.1 billions thanks mostly uh, to increases in per child purchases in emerging market what a long sentence <laughs> yeah the thing about geneva even though she played the stereotypical kids show maybe some people would say dumb blonde uh which, you know, is a stereotype. I, I think the showrunners really tried to make sure that people understood that underneath all that, Geneva was secretly a genius who just was able to pawn off her work because she pretended to be this dumb blonde. So every once in a while, they would give me a really hard line like that, that had a lot of words in it and statistics because Geneva was secretly just a genius in disguise. Geneva is definitely a genius in the sky. And one key element, Sydney Scotia, um, that is 
very impressive about that television series is, act is actually the animation and special effects. For example, uh, with the roller coaster um, switches to make all of the transition. But more importantly, the trailer in the beginning of each episode with figurines and a lot of animation. Yeah, they did a really good job. It was it was so well done. And we had the the roller coaster was a big deal for us. We had an actual roller coaster on set, which was every kid's dream. And then they matched <laughs> that in the animations, cross-cutting between between scenes. But yeah, they did a really good job of that opening title sequence and then um Colton Stewart did the opening title song which was so great and has since found a life on TikTok. I saw recently that it was this opening song was going viral on TikTok and I had no idea that you know that many people watched the show and resonated with it that much for it to go viral uh even this much later after the show has ended. But that was really fun because it's fun to see things have a life after the fact. And I think streaming services have really done that for us. But the opening title sequence was definitely iconic. And I love that song that they made for it. Absolutely. And Sydney Scotia, during that very productive time of your life, you were actually starting to work on one of your um, favorite projects. Um, up to date, which is called This Hits Home. I believe that you started it at that precise time. Yes, I was always really inspired by our directors. Um, behind the camera, always behind the camera jobs, it really always intrigued me being a producer, writer, director. And I was lucky enough to shadow Adam Wiseman, who directed our pilot and really got our whole team going on some assembly. And he uh, was gracious enough to let me shadow him on a Nickelodeon show. And I was really trying to come up with a concept for a feature length project that I could do after some assembly instead of going to film school because I knew I wanted to be behind the camera, but I had all this set experience. I had already been on set making connections with so many crew members and, and amazing people in the Vancouver film community that I thought, okay, I just wanna go ahead and make something now. And I talked to this woman named Maria Garay and she told me her story about her mother sustaining 40 years of abuse um, at the hands of her husband and particularly the focus of the abuse was at her head and she sustained many concussions. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I, did, I had no idea that women were sustaining concussions as a result of domestic violence. And so I thought, okay, what's the one thing I know how to do to get this message out there? And that was film. And I had never made a documentary before. I had done short films and passion projects and proofs of concepts, but I'd never done a feature length doc. So 
I went to investors and I was lucky enough to have a couple business mentors, one in particular that really took a chance and said, this is something that I'd be willing to invest in. And from there, I was able to get a few more to invest in this feature length documentary. And I just made it, I just went for it. And three years later, I had a finished product. But then after that, I took another year to make another shorter edit. I did a 75 minute cut and a 45 minute cut. And I'm so passionate about this topic that it's just something that I feel now personally responsible for getting out there because I talked to so many women and they shared their stories with me. And for some of them, this was their first time sharing their story and to do it on camera was just extremely brave and, and so trusting in me. So now we finally have a lot of distribution buzz. It's been something that's been many years in the making, five years to be exact, but I'm really excited and I'm hopeful that it finds the right audience and it can find a distribution platform that launches it so that people can just see that this is going on. That's the main goal with this was awareness. So I'm really hopeful and it doesn't end with the documentary. I really do want to continue pushing this topic forward into the public eye in whatever way I can. And that probably in my mind just involves making more films. So I would love to make another film on this topic and even more updated one now with the new information that we have that's come out since making this documentary. But it's one of those things where I thought, oh, I'm racing against the clock here because I gotta get this out right away. But even in the last five years, there hasn't been that much coverage, that much press on this topic. So I'm just really hoping that this documentary in the next year or so finds that audience so it can, it can finally, this topic can have a platform. Awareness is the main goal, Sydney Scotia. And when did you actually found that documentary title, that hits home? That's an interesting question because I think within a year of, of filming, it was something my family and I had talked about a lot. Uh, my father's a neurologist, and so he played a huge part in facilitating interviews with neuropathologists and other neurologists and experts in the field. And so we talked about this topic a lot in our home. And it was, we all came to it together. This Hits Home was just something that we thought, oh, that that's the title. And I forget exactly, it must've been around the dinner table or something in, in Arizona <laughs> when we were there. Um, but that's, that's such a good question because I've never been asked that. And it's hard to remember exactly when you, when you, when you come up with these things, um, especially when it, when it was that long ago, but that was definitely a, a family decision. And, and someone in my family must've said hits home or, or hitting home. And then we, and then we came to that conclusion together. Furthermore. Sydney Scotia, there is 
some scientific data because as you just said you did some um interviews with some uh, neurologist neuropathologist to um support all the data and to show for example uh, the evolution of the brain yeah i learned a lot through making this documentary and you know it it was it was very eye-opening talking to these these professionals especially we went to colorado springs and talked to a neuropathologist who showed us actual brain matter that shows early signs of cte uh chronic traumatic encephalopathy which a lot of football players not a lot of football players but uh it's it's known through football more so or, or contact sports but has never been researched or shown in women especially young woman young women and there was uh, one woman in particular whose brain showed signs of CTE. And so I, I talked to so many experts in the field and, and at the top of their field, and I was very lucky to do so. And th they definitely talk about this in, in such a clear and concise way and explain to the audience throughout the film exactly what all of these things mean, because we wanted to back up what we were saying in science because chronic traumatic encephalopathy is not something that you can diagnose um, when you're living. So that's something we really wanted to make sure that the science was accurate. And it was, it was, a, it was a long journey. We talked to a lot of scientists about this and there's obviously conflicting information in the field. It's, it's a very early it's in early stages of, of being studied from what I understand, but it's still been around long enough to where there are experts in this, in this subject that really know what they're talking about. But yeah, it, we talked to so many amazing scientists. In definitive, Sydney Scotia, this is a very important uh, piece of work socially because it's a very important um, issue and uh, I want to make a direct connection with I would say the third uh, tools of expression that you are using Sydney Scotia which is music for example with the releases of two singles in 2022 which are Don't Get So Close and Bad Company, which are two uh, <laughs> pieces of advice that are contrary. Yeah, very, very different from the documentary. I also release music, um, very light, very light things, very poppy and very fun. <laughs> and although I did do the ending credit song with a friend of mine for the documentary and I, where I can intersect um, music and film and be able to really work on a project start to finish and have a hand in every aspect of it, I will. And so that's partly why I started doing music, but I also just really love writing music as a passion and releasing music on Spotify has been so fun. It's, it's, 
it's fun for the whole family. <laughs> my parents love it. <laughs> my brother loves it. Um, and it's, it's really just fun to create something that is, you know, entirely your own with a couple other producers and songwriters. And it's such a collaborative experience and it's a little bit quicker. So it's, it's a little bit quicker than making a film. And so just seeing something <laughs> come to fruition so quickly and so pleasantly is awesome. I love it. And I would love to keep making music forever. And I'd love to do, my my next goal is to do an EP. And so I've been writing a more indie EP recently. So hopefully soon I have that coming out. Indeed, Sydney Scotia, you are reading into the future because this is exactly why I mentioned music, because you can use your musical ear, for example, to make the ending credits or maybe some of the ambience and some of the soundtrack of uh, that hit Holmes. Yes, yeah, I, and I did write the ending credit song with a friend of mine named Tanner Connolly and I was listening to it the other day because I missed it and I never released it but it, I've been waiting for the documentary to come out to release it but I love it so much and it's a much more you know it's a it's a more somber more indie piece but creating music for films is so much fun I I, I don't claim to be a composer I definitely leave that to the actual composers for the, the ambiance and the in-between moments in a film, but making pop music or <laughs> indie music, I will always want to, you know, make the ending credits. Sydney Scotia don't want to hire anyone. She prefers <laughs> to make everything by herself. This is this is indie movie making here. You know, we just do it all. <laughs> It's not that we don't want to hire anyone. <laughs> yeah. And by doing everything on your own and having that indie and another word word that I really enjoy from you, which is poppy that you just said before. Um, you're reaching authenticity and it feels like it was songs uh, made near the Quarry Hill Nature Center in Rochester, Minnesota. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You've done all the research, Victor. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's where I was born. I mean, I... No, no, I wish I knew more about Rochester. Uh, I know that's where I was born. I mean, I left there before I turned one and I ended up, you know, landing in Scottsdale, Arizona, where I grew up. <laughs> I am uh, wishing that hits home to hit a lot of homes. That was a very easy lines and rhymes <laughs> that is not recommended in any pop music. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sydney Scotia. Thanks so much, Victor. Thanks for having me.